1: All right. Here we are again on the podcast. I'm here with Billy. This is Jason. We're here to talk about some kind of recovery-related topics, which you already know if you found us here. Um, so this, this week, we decided uh, we both had some kind of issue happen at our work. And so we thought we would talk about you know, dealing with spiritual principles or not spiritual principles in a work environment and how that looks and how it affects us and maybe some ways we've found to deal with it. Um, i think billy told me to go first so i will relate my story i am at a a new position um, that's not entirely a work position right now i'm in college this is more of a, a field placement or an internship if you've never heard field placement before um, and so i'm you know learning my craft and uh, i go in weekly to a supervisor you know for a supervision meeting and we we go over aspects of the job things i'm you know, struggling with areas I have questions about. And so this week I went in and I was like, Hey, uh, do you want to talk about this? And my supervisor said, no, I actually have something specific. I wanted to talk about. Um, if you could just set your stuff to the side for a minute. And and that was like, Oh, Oh, okay. This might be something serious. What's going on. Right. And she said, Hey, it's uh, it's come to my attention. You've been vaping in the bathroom. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like I, I have, Right. I have. Um, and so in my field placement, um, I see, I see clients and generally my preferred thing is to go outside to vape because I don't want to feel guilty and I don't want to have anybody see the vape, you know, vapor in the bathroom. And I I just want to be able to freely do it. And I feel like I can do that outside best, but, When my clients are back to back, and I don't really have time to go outside. And I also have thought I don't really want to go outside and catch one client leaving or another one coming and have them see me vaping. Honestly, I I don't like what they may decide that means about me. and so I was taking the liberty and and maybe the entitled attitude of I'll just do this in the bathroom. Right. I had done it a few times. <clears throat> I didn't particularly notice any vapor in lingering in the air. Didn't think it was a big deal. And so I had just continued that practice. Um, so my supervisor p- brings this up and points it out and, and it fucked me up. I was embarrassed. Right. Because, and, and I explained this to her, I'm like, I carry myself really professionally and this does not look like that really professional self that I I carry myself as Um, I felt an immediate sense of some shame Um, and it really it had me pretty close to tears in her office um, just to be caught doing something that's not right because most of the time I live in a manner that I, I do act accordingly to the rules Um, and I, I do know with vaping, that's one area I really don't, you know, I went to Disney world, I vaped in every fucking bathroom I walked in. (laughs) I don't give a fuck, right? Like fuck y'all people who don't like it. Look, if I walked into a bathroom full of cigarette smoke, that's kind of repulsive, right? If I walk in and smell cotton candy and donuts, I'm like, ah, that's nice. So I'm like, fuck it. Nobody cares. I'm just going to do it. Um, but it, it really hurt my feelings to, uh, be pointed out about this uh this vaping in the bathroom at work. And and so I left there that day feeling pretty rough about it. Um and one of the things I did come to on the way home, uh I guess some sort of coping skill. Uh one, I was able to remind myself of all the things I do well um at my field placement, right? I do a whole lot of stuff right. I follow a lot of instruction, and so I got to look at the whole picture, not just this one thing that was pointed out that wasn't that wasn't well. Um so that was a little relieving, but more relieving was this concept of I left work that day looking at this conversation about me vaping in the bathroom as a, you know, air quotes, bad thing. Um because that's how I like to judge everything. It's good or bad, right? We <coughs> we like to value every, you know, circumstance that happens in our lives. And so that's what I did. I said this is a bad thing. But I'm driving home and I'm like what action can I take from this moment inspired by this so-called bad thing that will have me one day look back at it and say, damn, that's one of the best days that ever happened to me. Because of that moment, this great thing came out of it. So now that's not a bad moment that is actually a great moment in the history of my life, right? And this concept really intrigued me. And so I thought about it and, and I came up with some, some things. One thing I've been thinking about going back to therapy. So maybe this moment could be the inspiration that actually sends me back to therapy. like The driving force that truly makes the decision, hey, I need to make an appointment and go see somebody and, and talk about some stuff, right? That would be positive. Even more positive, I believe, would be If I use this moment to quit vaping, right, I could look back on this in a year and say, oh, shit, that moment didn't feel so good in the in the moment of it. But it actually inspired me to quit vaping. And now I don't do that anymore. And I have not for nine months or something. And that's incredible. That's actually a really good thing that happened in my life. And. You know, that's uh, somewhat on my mind. I'm thinking about doing that in the next week or two um, because there are some other aspects of vaping that do kind of bother me. Just the fact that I don't want to be seen outside by people because I'm wondering what they'll think of me uh, obviously means I don't like what it means about me to do it. Um, But I really got caught up in the concept of, wow, I, I can look at any bad situation in my life and I can, if I take it and use it to inspire something that makes it a good situation later, that's a pretty incredible perspective to have and a a good take on life. Like I can turn any negative into a positive using that theory, right? It's what I do after that situation, not so much what happens in that situation that matters for my life. And I just, I thought that was really weird. So I wanted to talk about
0: it. Yeah. That's one of those concepts I've tried to apply to my using and my addiction, you know, the active addiction part of my life, a lot of times, like I've used that as a a motivational type thing for myself and for other people. Like I, you know, used to do these behaviors. I was this way. I ended up, you know, in jail. I was a criminal. I was a criminal and a thief and a liar and all these things. And, you know, because of the results of those consequences. I made different choices in my life and, and now, you know, those things, um, I don't want to say they are a positive, but I use them as part of a positive example of, you know, to connect with people to say, you can overcome these things too. I've been in this spot. I was able to do some things and make my life different. And now when you look at my life now, it doesn't look anything like that guy. You know, I'm right. go out and coach little league and, you know, have a job and own a home. And, you know, people that meet me in the community or at my kid's school don't see a drug addict, you know, alcoholic criminal, (laughs) um, they see something different. And so people, you know, trying to get out of addiction, it can, you can use that as a very positive example. Um, that negative experience. Um, I thought of two things while you were talking about that. One of them was humility and you know, what, sort of that principle of humility has become so big for me in my life. It's not just about, you know, the, the being humble part, you know, the, the taking responsibility and those things like that's great too. But like, look honestly at how you feel about vaping. I mean, as you mentioned, obviously you have some sort of feeling about it. If you think people are judging you or looking at you a certain way, there's something in you that is telling you, You don't like that about yourself, you know, (laughs) or if there's, you know, to me, if I'm doing something that I have guilt, shame, embarrassment, you know, something about, I should really take a look at it and, and own it, you know, own it. Say, Hey, Mm -hmm. this is a habit that I have that I'm not proud of because only from that, you know, we, we take that and we build on that to change. Um, I think the, to me and your, you know, story there, like I thought of just, what's amazing is our ability, or, you know, I like to think that I would do the same thing Is our ability today to go in and just take ownership of it and be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Like those things in life are so, uh, uncommon. And I mean that outside of addicts outside of, you know, just people in recovery, like just in life in general, like in dealing with people at, work all the time. Like people taking ownership of mistakes and just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Most of the time, at least it feels like most of the time at my job, people want to point fingers and blame and make excuses, you know, well, this person said or that person told me or someone else said or these guys were doing it. You hear all that stuff. And it's so rare to just hear someone go, Yeah, I you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I won't do it again and then have the integrity to follow through on that and not turn around and do it again, not just say it cause it sounds good and it's going <laughs> to get you out of the jam, but right. to actually follow through with some integrity and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, you know, and I think of, of me and addiction, like I remember being a person that always thought, you know, that the rules were stupid. Like I've mm. always, th- and I still think drug laws are stupid and drug prohibition is stupid for different reasons, but you know, I always thought there really isn't all this danger in smoking pot. Why do they get to make this rule that makes it illegal to smoke pot? I could smoke pot and I'm not hurting anybody and I'm not doing anything wrong. And what I failed to realize is if I don't make the rules, I can go against them, but I have to suffer the consequences of going against them. So this is your consequence for ignoring a rule. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's again, for me in recovery, it's knowing like, Hey, I make mistakes. I you know, screw things up all the time. And the, the best thing I can do in most of those situations is really just own it, you know, really just take, take responsibility, sit with it. Like, Hey, this doesn't feel good. You know, maybe I don't want to do this again because it doesn't feel good. Let me, let me sit and really feel this instead of try to rationalize and justify our way out of it. You know, yeah, it's great that you can take it and turn it into a positive thing but sit and feel that shame for a minute because you did ignore a rule. (laughs) You You did do something like
1: that and ignore what they asked you to do. And and you make a couple of good points in there. One, uh, Thank God for the integrity today. Because Hmm. before, if you'd have caught me, it was like, you don't have me on camera. I didn't do that shit, right? (laughs) Right. Like never. I have all kind of Can you prove it? Can you prove it? Yeah. I was actually sitting on the toilet and uh the vape went off in my pocket and that's why the (laughs) smoke was there. Like it wasn't because I actually hit it. Um and another one you bring up, uh a difficult thing for me is doing things that I know maybe the majority of society doesn't agree with. And being okay with that, because I believe it's okay. Like, I generally don't think there's anything wrong with vaping. Maybe it's not what I want to do, and maybe vaping's not the best example of this. But there are things that I'm just not in agreement with the majority of society with. And it's still difficult for me to act on it and know I'm going to be judged for it. So that I feel like I, I get the point you're making, that if I'm worried about what people think of it, maybe I shouldn't do it. But I think there's also a line of things that I like to live in. I still am concerned about how people view me though over it.
0: Yeah, and so two things about well, first about vaping and then something along those similar lines. So I am not a person I don't vape. My wife does. And I am not sold that it's completely harmless and safe oh, and none of it matters it's and, not and not only that, <laughs> but even like the second hand vaping stuff. I mean, so And I don't know, I'm not overly paranoid about it, but I don't want to walk into a bathroom full of vaping cloud of whatever freaking chemicals that are in that shit that make it smell like cotton candy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And I'm not agreeing to put that in my body. So I shouldn't have to deal with that. That's fair. The second thing was similar at my job this week. Um, A guy brought up to me that I tend to curse a lot at work Mm. and that i tend to take the lord's name in vain and that to him was offensive he's a religious guy and he finds it a little bit offensive that i say god damn it a lot Mm. and he wasn't bringing it up in like a overly like attacking way he's i I get along with him really well and he actually felt comfortable enough to kind of say it to me in just a conversation and i didn't take it like offensively like i just listened to him and of course i don't necessarily agree with his viewpoints
1: right
0: um but at the end of the day you know once i went once i got past the initial like defensiveness and i didn't get Mm. defensive with him but immediately in my head i want to be defensive and i want to dismiss everything that he just said by saying well i don't agree with your god and i don't agree with your rules that your god set for you that's your stuff i shouldn't have to live my life according to that and uh that's how i felt what I've learned in recovery is don't always say what you feel right away in the moment, just sit with it. So I kind of said, yeah, I hear you. I get it. You know, I'll try, you know, whatever. And I said, whatever. I said, yeah, I get stressed and I tend to curse a lot and I don't, you know, cause then he made another comment and this one I did take a little bit offensive and I did kind of make a snarky comment back, but he said, you know, and I just, he's like, I wonder if you like talk like that at home around your children And uh, I thought, oh, you know, so what if I do? And I said, well, I just said, I'll match my kids up against anybody else's kids anytime. My kids are great kids. They're caring and compassionate children. They I mean, everyone that meets our kids, you know, give us compliments on what good kids they are if they're, I don't believe exposing them to a little bit of cussing is what makes your kids good or bad. You know, I don't think if my kid says, God damn it, that makes them a bad kid. You know, your kid cannot say, God damn it. And then go push a kid off the swing set. You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I judge my kids in a different standards than that. And I'm okay with my kids. And if they curse a little bit, I don't really care. Right. Um, cause I don't care for myself anyway. But sitting with all that, so I went home and I kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I thought the truth is, you know, back to that thing was, I i don't know that it's I care so much about how other people see me, but I care about how my actions affect other people around me. Mm-hmm. And if my cussing or saying, God damn it, around him makes him uncomfortable or uneasy, is it really that hard for me to try to stop? Is it really that? kind of big of a deal for me to just be courteous to him in that way. And I don't have to go in and tell him, well, I kind of did. We made a little bit of a joke of it the next day. So I went in and put one of those cuss jars on my desk and I lined up like six quarters, you know, cause I knew it was going to happen in the day. And I said, here you go. Um, you know, I'll keep this cuss jar here now and try to keep me from cussing is like a joke but it was it was meant i did that for two reasons one to make a little bit of light of the whole situation because i don't want him to feel i like the guy we get along great um but two to show him like i did hear what he said and that what he said mattered and that you know i would just try i would make an effort you know no promises i'm gonna make an effort so at least today i'm making an effort to try to live by someone else's rules that I don't even agree with, but just because it
1: makes them a little more comfortable. Funnily enough, uh, I have a teacher that tried to work on not cussing as much. And I guess apparently she used to say for the love of God all the time. And so every time she messes something up in class or it doesn't go right, she says for the love of Billy, right? Which is (laughs) hilarious because you're Billy. Um, But it's striking to, you know, hear something different right it sounds very weird when Mm. she says it even though we've gotten used to it now in class but uh i guess replacing a word i i'm with you it's just hard to be judged by something i don't believe in Mm. right it's hard like i can't live up to everybody's standards of doing the right thing i'm going to end up offending some people but i do think it's awesome that you know in general i think both of us do care about not offending people we don't try to on purpose and really one of the things you pointed out that he was comfortable enough to come talk to you about it really says something about your character as well, because, uh, it's easy to realize people in my life who I would approach with, you know, something that might possibly be annoying me. And then there's also people who I'm like, I'm not going to fucking waste my time. I know who they are. They're not going to be receptive to that. And yeah. So what I initially, um,
0: You had talked about living our life by other people's rules. And I think the fine line difference there is so I don't feel guilty about cussing because it offends him. Right. Um, And I am probably not going to stop saying it in general, like I'm not going to try to live my overall life. I mean, I'm always subject to adjusting behaviors based on how it affects people around me. But like, I know it doesn't offend my wife. I don't think it offends you. I don't think it offends most of the people that I hang around. So it's probably not a behavior that I'm going to like. Be like, oh my, I need to look. I almost said it there. I almost said, oh my god, oh my god, and I'm already, <laughs> I'm already changing my behavior. I'm but highly it's, fucking offended. Yeah. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so. I guess the difference is I don't feel guilty about doing that. It's not a behavior that I go, oh man, I have to change the whole way I'm living. It's like, I care about the way my actions affect people around me and it affects him in whatever negative way. And that is important to me. You know, it's, it's, you know, I think of that, you know, 12 step kind of thing, like You know, I want to practice these principles in all my affairs. Well, I want to be a loving, caring and compassionate person in my life. So I try to do that in all areas where I can. I'm definitely going to fall short of his religious God's rules (laughs) at work. That's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it when it happens. I'm just going to try to do what little things I can to to maybe make him a little more comfortable or make the environment a little more you know, easier. Um, and I don't think it's that big of a, you know, big of a deal. Um, recently I had a similar sort of conversation, um, with my wife and with some people at work, which is why I was talking to my wife about it. So people at my job tend to take this persona with customers, we do a lot of customer service, customer relations. And it's always this attitude of like, well, I'm nice to the people that are nice to me. And I'm rude to the people that are rude to me. And I try to get across to them. A principle that I learned in recovery is that I try to be nice to everyone, no matter how they treat me. I want to live by the morals and values that are important to me because of who I am, not because of how other people treat me. And if someone on the phone is upset and yelling and screaming, you know, I don't feel better myself personally by yelling and screaming back at them. I don't feel better by getting into a big argument over whatever someone's bill or what they were charged or whatever. I don't feel better by winning that argument and being right you know, when I go home at night, and this is just me, I go home at night, I lay down in bed, and I think about it. And I think, man, how could I have done this better? You know, how could I have handled that in a way that brought them some peace that made them feel, you know, appreciated, like their concerns were addressed in a, you know, healthy manner. And Most people don't live that way. You know, most people are like, well, you're rude to me, so I can be rude back to you. You ignore me, so I can ignore you. And I think in recovery, I've learned that that's not the person I want to be. You know, I want to be someone who's kind to the rudest person. Right.
1: And you're touching on something that I, I actually find hugely important too. I feel like people live the golden rule in reverse (laughs) instead of treat others the way you want to be treated. I hear it as I'll treat them how they treat me because that's obviously their application of the golden (laughs) rule. Right. And it just seems so ass backwards. Right. And I, I try to teach my kids this. So look, I'm not a, a, christian i don't claim to be i I don't claim to believe in the bible but i love a lot of the different bible verses about jesus in general uh i don't know why they just they're touching stories to me that i talk about frequently for whatever reason one of my favorites that i try to teach my kids about all the time because they're you know 14 now and there's gangs of friends and they hate each other one day and love each other the (laughs) next and i'm like listen you know, you'll, you're not going to understand this in Jesus terms, but he said, even the tax collectors are nice to their friends. Right. And the point was the tax collectors were supposedly mean, evil people that, you know, were taking your money and didn't care about you. And he's like, look, even these terrible people, even these murderers and rapists basically are nice to their friends. Right. They're just murdering and raping other people that they don't like. <laughs> right. right. Being nice to your friends is no big fucking accomplishment. Right. Being nice to people that who are nice to you or do something for you is no huge accomplishment to brag about. Everybody is. What about being nice to people that aren't nice to you? Right. That's really saying something about your character. And I try to show them the importance of that because I'm in agreement with you. Like it doesn't fucking mean anything that I'm nice to somebody who's given me money to be nice to them. Right. Right. It means something when I'm still nice to somebody who's taken money from me when I'm still nice to somebody who's treating me badly, like, and that doesn't mean I don't need to have healthy boundaries and remove myself from situations if they're not healthy for me, right? I'm not saying that, but I should always try to live my morals and values of treating people good, not just to those who are good to me. That, that doesn't really take a lot of effort, right? I want to live a life that might take a little more effort, but means more to me. Right. And to me, that is the definition of integrity.
0: You know, I live... The values that I believe in, to the best of my ability, in spite of the circumstance, you know, and in, in spite of the situation. Right. Um, and it's not easy. It's difficult, you know. I don't like to yell at my children. I don't like to raise my voice uh-huh. and get into arguments with them. I do it, but uh, you know, that's not the person that I want to be. And a lot of times, just taking ownership of that and and recognizing, like. I acted this way. I don't like the way that that makes me feel later means maybe I need to look at that and change it a little bit. (laughs) Maybe there's something I need to change about myself. Um, That awakening of my spirit, that awakening of my conscience that happened in recovery, you know, allows me to be willing to do that. Um, I didn't have that when I was using. It was like, well, I'm just going to do whatever I got to do to get what I need to get and I'll justify or rationalize it later you know, right, right. just so that I can keep getting what I need and doing what I do. And, uh, you know, recovery's taught me that that's the kind of stuff that keeps me awake at night. You know, that's mm. the kind of reasons that I feel guilt and shame and embarrassment and remorse and living the other way, like living with integrity and living by principles and values that I think are important, um, is what, Gives me personal pride, or, you know, it gives me, you know, what do they call that. Um, I can't think of that name, but it makes me feel good about the person that I am today. Right, And, you know, my values are always sort of, I don't say up for revision. Like I'm always willing to look at them and willing to see if they need tweaked or adjusted based on situations and circumstances in life. And certain things have ebbed and flowed and changed. Um, But certain ones are always there. I always want to strive to be honest. I always want to strive to be kind and courteous and compassionate towards other people. Um, I always want to have, you know, empathy and, uh, you know, just be a good, what I consider a good, morally good person.
1: Yeah, this ties in, you know, treating people who aren't nice to you as well, uh, treating them well. I think ties in a lot to just the concept of what am I doing when nobody's looking, right? right? Like, yeah, it's easy to do the right thing in front of an audience, but what am I doing when nobody's looking? And and like this week, I could obviously say I'm vaping in the bathroom when nobody's (laughs) looking, right? But that's not all I'm doing. I'm also like a lot of times when nobody's watching, I'm doing the right thing just because it's right for me. It's not about who sees it, who knows about it. It's just what makes me, like you said, sleep well at night. It allows me to lay down and not run through all the things I did wrong or feel guilty.
0: And then the flip side of that is there's no reason to beat yourself up about it or make yourself feel horrible or anything else. It's like, Hey man, I did this. I, you know, it was sort of whatever, however you choose to look at it. I'm going to throw some words out there. I don't mean to place my judgments on you, but you know, I don't mean to be, you know, careless or disrespectful or, you know, whatever you feel about that. But, you know, recognizing that I made a mistake I'm going to take responsibility for it, you know, and then having the actions that go along with that decision. Like, that's why I think I can live guilt free today, because right. I don't just do things, make excuses and move on and keep doing them. You know, it's right. It's I hear when people are telling me that I've done something wrong. I hear when people say that I've caused some kind of harm and I'm willing to own it and say, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe there's some things I can do
1: differently. Yeah, and not to not to take this in the direction of vaping, but I have never, ever once thought that vaping was providing me with a good source of vitamin A and vitamin D <laughs> for my daily use. Uh, it was more the fact that I, I smoked for 21 years, and vaping gave me the freedom to put cigarettes down. Now, look, my old sponsor will tell you that vaping is suboxin for cigarettes, <laughs> and I, I can't argue that. I was going to yell harm reduction, harm reduction, right? Uh, I I do think there's less chemicals in vaping. So I'm hoping that it's way better than (laughs) cigarettes for me. I don't really know that by any means. I'm just kind of hoping uh, some of the science seems to point that direction that it's, it's better than smoking. And so I, I like that idea, but it's been four and a half years of doing it. Maybe it would be nice to not have it. Right. And so it, it's something I do want to look at and I'm interested in considering. And if this can be the thing that inspires it, then awesome.
0: Yeah, and I will I'll say like with my wife I am 10 times happier that she vapes than that she smokes cigarettes. She smoked and she smoked for a long time and was on and off trying to quit and really struggled and she finally quit. It's been several years and she's vaped and I am happier about that than right. anything. Um I would love her to stop just for the financial reasons and things, but you know, I'll I'll take it as a
1: win. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. And uh, I guess that's all we got about that portion of it. We'll take a little break here for some uh, advertising that we finally have, and then we'll come back with some more.
0: This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, Members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org
1: Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
0: So, the issue I would like to talk about I had at work this week was uh, more of a personal, what I would call one of those kind of moral dilemmas that uh, I struggle with. And uh, we had a person at our job that, you know, for different reasons wasn't a good fit for the company, Um, they had a very negative attitude towards customers. Towards the other employees, who they were supervisors of, um, there are things that we had talked to them about several times. We've sat down with the person, you know, uh, my bosses and, and I, and her supervisors, and, and had sat down and kind of said, "Hey, these are some issues we need you to address. We need you to look at them. Um, we we don't want to hear them. We don't want to see them." And they continued, you know, and and just. You know, earlier this week, again, it was like a comment about someone she supervises. She actually uh, sent a text message to her boss who was, you know, the next level up and told him that this guy is making my life difficult, so I'm going to make his life a living hell. And, you know, to like if that's the attitude you have about the people that are working under you. Like you should not be supervising people to me in that way. Like, you know, the attitude as a, as a company overall, we're small family owned business. It's not some huge corporation thing. It's, you know, 20 people, however many people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's try to create like a family atmosphere. We're all working together. We don't have really specific titles. There's not, you know, a bunch of over, overly descriptive job titles, you know, it's sort of, we all pitch in to help each other to do what we can to provide the best services. And she wasn't fitting into that. So we had to let her go. And the difficulty was, um, I had went to my boss a a week or so ago and sat down with him one-on-one and said, Hey, look, here's, what's going on with this person with a different employee. She had different issues with a different guy that she was supervising who had made similar claims but we didn't know for, we didn't have the in-text writing, I'm going to make his life hell. But he had made these claims that she does these things to me on purpose. She does these things that, you know, cause me difficulty in my day. And if I'm going to have to probably quit, I'm going to have to find another job. And this is a person had been with the company for 20 years. Wow. So I went to my boss and I said, for those reasons, plus some other reasons, I think we should let her go. And he said, no, I want to give her one more chance. Maybe we'll take down some things that she's doing. We'll sit down and talk to her one more time. We'll give her one more opportunity. So I said, okay, I'd been compiling my list. The other supervisor who I'll say is like kind of parallel to me in a different facet of the company. He's the one that she sent the text to him and I started talking and both of us felt like, one more you know how many one more chances is one more chance. Right. And so we had to in essence I'm making this a long version of we had to go in and a tell my boss. Is never enough.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so we had to go into my the to the you know boss of the company and say, hey look, you know, we don't think one more chance is good. We think she needs to go. That's really difficult, you know, because I'm a person that fully accepts responsibility for this person is gonna lose their ability not their ability, they can go out and get another job, but they are, they have to go now and find a new job. They're going to be unemployed. Christmas um, is coming. It's going to be, you know, really a negative, you know, experience for them. Right. And, uh, you know, that sense of feeling directly responsible for that in a way, mm-hmm. um, was difficult, you know, and I've wrestled with it for a while, I guess it's, I wrestled, I struggled to go in the first time and tell him I didn't really think she should be there. So then to be in this position again. And then, so I was there when the conversation happened with her about letting her go and she cried and, you know, this is the best job I've ever had. And, you know, those kind of things. And it was just, it was morally really difficult. It's like, you're trying to, you know, do your job to the best that you can to look out for the good of you know, the company as a whole to look out for the good of everyone else around. And yet you're still directly responsible for causing this, you know, in essence, I'm going to use the word harm to someone else's life. And it's, that was just really challenging
1: morally. No, I can absolutely see why that would be challenging. And, uh, I noticed you kind of ignored my Christmas comment, (laughs) but I didn't know if that was, uh, you didn't like that idea or not but it kind of it kind of brings up an idea for me uh maybe a little off the topic of what you're saying but if you do feel you need to let someone go is there a better time to do that like would it be better to let someone go in january after the holidays i know christmas is a large expense for a lot of people not everybody because not everybody believes in christmas or, or or that festive holiday season of some sort um but it is a large expense for a lot of people, especially with children. And even even more than that, I don't even know that it matters. I think most people live in a, a credit and debt world. So they're probably in debt in January as much as they are in November, right? It might not even make a difference. But I was just curious, do you think that makes a difference at all? To me personally,
0: no, I, I don't think it makes a difference at all. And that's what I was going to kind of <laughs> ask you a question of like, do you feel like you're Employer is responsible for the quality of your Christmas or your holidays or maybe birthdays or your kids'
1: birthday, <laughs> so you know, I, like no, not well, at we, all. You like, can't fire them in January. It's Martin Luther <laughs> right. King Day. We fire <laughs> February, it's President's Day sales, right? No, I got you. Um, no, I don't I don't necessarily think that they're responsible. Um, I do think like say this is a company I've been at for five years. And they feel like they might need to let me go for whatever reason, whether it's something I'm doing, the position's just coming to its lack of usefulness anymore. I do think it might be nicer after the holiday season for the holiday season's sake, like I can feel like I could enjoy the holiday season a little more, feel insecure mm-hmm. at my job. but then I mean, really, once you do it in January, I'm gonna be like depressed at least until spring hits anyway, so uh, yeah, it's weird know that it's
0: better. I try as best I can. It's a little bit of a blurry line. I try to really separate out my, you know, job life from my home life. I used to mix those up a lot, you know, for lots of reasons. It all used to be one big blurry line and it caused issues with my wife at home when I would bring issues from work home to her. And then I just want to talk to her about all my work issues and not issues with our family or with us. And then on the flip side, I am personally you know, friends with my boss, the owner of the company. Um, we are good personal friends outside of work. Right. So in order to try to maintain the most professional atmosphere I can, you know, I think both of us try to maintain a different line there. Um, I think it keeps it easier. It's like, say we're still friends. We still get along and joke and laugh with each other and we have a lot in common. So, um, I try to look at work is to me is like a almost like a contractual or a business obligation like I have with a bank, you know, well, or like my mortgage speaking. holder, right. like I, my mortgage holder owes me nothing other than to make sure that if I make my payment on time, I stay in my house when I'm supposed to, you know, and they pay the things that they're supposed to pay, whatever, um, that they can't come kick me out of my house. Cause I've paid them when I'm supposed to pay them. Like those, that's the agreement we have. So that's what I get. And I feel like my employer is the same way. I agree to come in and give you X amount of time for X amount of work. And because I tend to be a person of integrity, I want to uphold my end of that bargain to the best of my ability. And I expect to get my paycheck at the end of each week for the amount of agreed upon money. And short of that, they don't personally owe me anything. If they want to give me something great, but to have an expectation on that, I don't feel like it's fair to your employer.
1: Can I bring up something about you personally, maybe sure. that I Oh yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> trying to call you out or anything whatsoever like that. I just I think you had explained to me that when you came back from, you know, tour in the US and your awesome experience there, <laughs> that your position had been filled but your boss kind of took you back on, not that you weren't going to be a useful employee. He was already aware of that, but it felt like the way you described it, it was kind of somewhat of a personal favor in a way. And I feel like your lines of profession might be a little more blurred than a lot of people's. I I do agree. A Mm -hmm. business relationship is very much a contract of you perform this duty and we pay you for that. Um, I just wonder if that, I don't know, maybe I heard that wrong when we were talking about that before. Yeah. So I would say the answer to your question
0: is no, I don't think he did it as a personal favor. Okay. Like it wasn't a personal favor. It was, we are friends, but I definitely believe, and maybe this sounds arrogant, but I definitely believe I bring a lot to the table and he knows what my value is for working for him and his company. And I kind of actually, when I talked to him about this, cause we had a couple conversations about this before it happened What I didn't want to do is go not talk to him first, take a job and go work for someone else. And then him to be like upset of like, why didn't you come talk to me about a job? Like, why would you not come back here and work? Was it something I did? Did you not like working for me or something like that? Um, And again, I don't feel like, like, I'm not going to say I was doing him any personal favor in that. I greatly respect him. And if anything else, I will say this. So I got my job early in recovery. I feel like he took a chance on me when, cause I had a criminal record and I had some things and I had been clean a little over a year. Um, but I had some stuff in my criminal history that could make me unemployable to a lot of places. And he took a risk, took a chance, was willing to take that risk. And so I have always looked at that, you know, as sort of a personal, um, I owe him personally right. uh, for taking that risk. But, I've been there nineteen years now. And so I feel like um I've I've paid that back. I've given a lot, you know, I, I take a lot of personal responsibility for my job. I will say that. I've been with the company a long time, so I, I try to treat it as if it were my own.
1: You no, know? and um, I wasn't trying to attack your skill set or professional ability. I definitely think, you know, I'm sure you showed him over time how worth it you were to have on board. I just, I guess I felt like when you described it to me before it was, he had already filled your position with some other people. And so maybe the money wasn't necessarily there. Like, Oh yeah, definitely. We need him to fill this position. It was more of a, Oh shit, he's back in town. We got to bring him back on board. We'll figure out something for him. Right. It wasn't so much. We're hiring you back for what you used to do. It's like, you know what? I I really want him here. We're going to, find work for a position for him instead of so much we need this position filled we'll bring him in for it right so i I don't know i just didn't know if that changed i feel like that changes the personal professional dynamics slightly i don't know if it really does i think it might but i don't
0: perceive it that you know i kind of look at it as the you know if uh for whatever reason i'll use a football analogy you know if the Ravens tomorrow decided oh you know Lamar Jackson isn't the direction we want to go we're going to cut him loose and some other team went out went we don't really need a quarterback but fuck it we're going to hire him because god damn he's good (laughs) 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 and we don't want him to go away you know here's the opportunity to grab him we're going to grab him and we're going to use you know pay him and stick him on the bench and we'll figure out what we want to do with him at whatever time but we're not just going to let him get away right like I say, that sounds awful arrogant of me to say, you know, no, to I put you. myself in that situation. But that's kind of how I looked at it. it was like, you know, I feel like I'm a good employee. I show up. I don't miss a lot of time. I put a lot into my job. I take a lot of pride. All these are recovery skills, by the way, things I learned in here of, you know, in, in meetings and through recovery of how to be a good employee, you know. Um, I
1: think I bring those to the table. Just don't so. be surprised next week when I introduce the podcast as Jason and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's even more arrogant of me to
0: <laughs> compare myself to, you know, yeah. some would say the best quarterback in the game at this moment, you right, know, like right. I'm the best employee in the world at this moment. <laughs> no, that's, you know, I didn't that's mean that. Funny. That was just a comparison because I'm a big Ravens fan, so no, I'm really uh, familiar
1: with I totally understood. That was hilarious.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I guess more back to the topic of of having to be a part of letting someone go. I can't imagine that's a difficult thing to do any time of year. You know. Yeah, I point out that it's Christmas any time of year. This is somebody who has been financially, you know, helped by this institution. They're counting on it. They're relying on it. They've you know, accrued bills and debt based on the fact that they can pay it back because of this position. And whether through their own doing or not of, you know, ability or attitude on the job, nobody wants to hurt people, right? Nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody, people like you and I are not intent on hurting anyone. And so I I do think, it's hard to do the right thing sometimes, you know. If they're not a good fit for the company, you can't keep them just because you don't want to hurt them, <laughs> right? right? Um, I don't know. I, I think that brings up a good a good uh, question of, and and maybe a good, a good statement. Somebody I heard somewhere along the way, and I've held on to it. Said, you know, the right thing is often the harder thing to do in any given situation, and I, I tend to believe that. I Don't know that I've thought fully through it where there's, you know, maybe there's an exception to that rule like there is to all rules, but it does seem like the right thing to do is frequently more difficult, right? The right thing to do when I'm sitting at home is probably to do the dishes and that's more difficult than sitting on my ass watching football. The right thing to do uh, in the situation you were just in was to, you know, live with those tough feelings, but not have an employee at your job that's spreading negativity.
0: Yeah, and I really tried to make sure and I really look at, you know, the motivations behind letting them go, you know, what, what are the reasons is, it, are they personal reasons? Is it because I don't like them personally? Are they, be, you know, cause of things like that, right. or are they really like legitimate, like, yeah, this is, this is bad for everyone. And I felt like in this case, you know, it wasn't, which is why I don't feel guilty about it. Like it wasn't personal decisions. There was no personality in my decision-making on the thing, it was, you know, it was actively causing harm to other people at the business right. and customers and, you know, our business. It was, it was not just, well, she, you know, doesn't do this right or that right. It was, right. it was actively causing damage.
1: And this wasn't the first time in the right. way you described it. This was, you know, a frequent thing. You just, now you had a, a very positive exhibit a to, to, you know, show to the court, I guess. Um, You know, the the statement I just made kind of made me think here for a second. I I was going to ask people for instances where the right thing was not the harder thing. And then it occurred to me that maybe for people like us, or maybe people in general, I'm not sure, I I can't think like uh, earthlings, (laughs) but maybe the harder thing is only harder because it's the right thing. Right. So I thought of this, this situation shout out to my persons with gambling addiction on Twitter, because there's quite a fucking few gambling addicts. Apparently I had no idea. Um, But someone could easily say the easier thing to do on a Monday morning is to not walk down to the bookie and place a bet. Right. The harder thing would be to get out of your house, go down to the bookies and place the bet. So the easier thing is just to sit home and not bet. And yet, I guarantee if you ask any person that has struggled with gambling addiction, it's the harder thing yeah, to right. stay home and not place the bet. So it, <laughs> yeah. I can't really say it's harder in the physical sense of more yeah, right. actual work, but it's just harder because it's harder for us.
0: Yeah, not doing what you got to do to get heroin or injecting heroin isn't
1: right. That's the easier. easier thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's easier to not do that.
1: <laughs> right, right. But it's definitely seemed like the harder yeah. thing when that's what
0: yeah. And doing. I don't know, harder, easier, and those you know, fables or whatever you call them, it's to me, I look at the old recovery saying, and I didn't get this for the longest time. I don't think, you know, probably till I had 10 years or so, it was the idea that first thought wrong, Mm. you know, to me so many times still, it's, you know, still true. It's like my gut reaction or first reaction to most situations is not the best, right? Um, it's usually impulsive. It's usually self-serving. Based it's usually ego. right. Based in whatever reaction to whatever feeling I'm having in that moment. You know, it's like, I'm angry. I want to hit, um, right. <laughs> you know, mad. I want to yell. It's, it's that kind of stuff. And that, you know, it, why you might get that instant gratification for that behavior. It usually isn't the best solution to the problem in general. I also had a sponsor sort of explain to me that mm-hmm. as addicts, like we have this tendency to look at, you know, solutions in extremes. Mm. It's like if, you know, everything's all or nothing or good or bad, or it's either all this or all that. And most of the time the solution is somewhere in the middle Right. and that a good thing to do is kind of sit for a minute and feel out the extremes. Like, all right, well, this is how I want to react to this situation. What's the complete and polar opposite of that, you know, and sort of sit with it for a minute, use a sponsor, use some friends, talk about some other solutions and find some solution that's somewhere in the middle. Um, because so many times the goal is to, to like, I'm trying to get something done or to teach my kids a lesson or to, you know, get a task completed. And I lose sight of that when I make decisions based on my feelings.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you hear me share my story, my first thought is generally, fuck it. <laughs> yeah right. that's, that's where i go every time fuck it uh to bring up the the first session part of this you know episode i i got defensive when i got caught vaping and it was pointed out to me and and my thoughts were like who the fuck told on me and <laughs> why couldn't that person have some integrity and come talk to me right. themselves and why'd they have to feel like they need to tell my supervisor and like none of that shit really mattered in the long run i was doing it right do I agree with the method they handled it in? Not entirely. It's not who I want to be, but maybe they didn't know me or feel comfortable talking to me about it and they wanted to address it. So I don't fucking know. But yeah, my, my first thought is usually my first four or five thoughts are pretty awful. (laughs) right? Um,
0: And that's the benefit of staying connected to recovery, connected to people in recovery is that I have people that have sort of some shared values and goals. I mean, for me personally, that tends to be the people I like to have around me in my life are people that I, you know, respect their opinions and respect the way that they live and the person that they are. And so that I can sort of talk through some of this crazy stuff. And unfortunately I have the tendency of, obviously I like to talk a lot and (laughs) I have the tendency to, when I get into something, I will talk out my crazy thinking with people sometimes which is kind of entertaining because i'll talk right out and admit fully out like whatever the first crazy thought right <laughs> so many times but it's fun to say it out loud because then it really you know to myself those things in my head sound really they don't sound irrational right they sound like good ideas they sound like the solution to the problem and then you say it out loud and you're just like oh that really you know <laughs> wow, I, that's the way I want to handle that? Like right. if someone else, if I were looking at someone else who handled the situation like that, and my wife used to bring that up to me all the time with the kids. She's like, if we were in public and you saw another person talk to their kids that way or to you know handle their situation with their children that way, what would you think? And it's caused me to kind of step back and look at my behavior sometimes like that, like to, to step out of my own personal feelings
1: to make decisions on how to handle stuff i so i tend to explain that for myself uh as part of a step one thing and i'm sure some you know step studier would tell me i'm way off on this but i look at the part of step one that says my life is unmanageable right and i always for a long time i considered that to just mean you know unmanageability i'm crazy it's chaotic And I look at it now as actually literally unmanageable, as in I am not a good manager of it. If you put me in charge Mm -hmm. of it as the CEO of my life, I'm fucking terrible at it by myself. And so I need a board of directors, right? Behind the scenes, I need these people I talk to in order to make the company run right, the company of myself, right? I'm crazy. I don't manage it well. And no matter how long I stay here, how many steps I work, my information sucks. I need to run it by other people and get their input.
0: Right. And so the fellowship that we go to, you may have heard me say, like one of my favorite sayings out of the basic text, it's in the second tradition, it says, we are mismanagers and not one of us is consistently capable of making good decisions. Right. And I don't quote a lot of literature like that, but that line for me, because I'm an egomaniac and I think that I'm smart and I can figure everything out and I got it all to myself. And then to hear that, it's like, no, I am a mismanager. You know, I'll get it right occasionally, but in general, you know, maybe I'll give myself, I'll be generous to myself. Seven out of 10 times, (laughs) I'm going to get it wrong. You know, like seven out of 10 times, my first
1: impulsive decision is wrong, you know. Absolutely. I don't know. You got anything else to add about work and recovery? Uh, You had some other topics.
0: Yeah. The only other thing I thought with work was, you know, I find that to be the place where I struggle the most with my character defects. Um, I want to be included in the, you know, water cooler conversations Mm. about this person and that person and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And as you, as I've worked my way up and gotten into a supervisory position, it's, it becomes challenging. You can put yourself into really bad situations. You know, over the years, I've put myself in really bad situations, trying to play both sides of the, you know, I'm on the side of my boss and you're supervisors or I'm on the side of the employees because, you know, a lot of when you're employing 20 some people, everybody's got opinions. Everybody thinks you should be doing something different or this different or that different. And uh, I've just found it difficult personally to maintain uh, my integrity when it comes to staying out of gossip, staying out of the sort of rumor mill water
1: cooler conversations. Right. Well, one of the things I ran into trouble with when I worked in the construction field was it seemed like everybody did drugs or drank. Right. And so, uh, frequently it was a great thing when you got off early for a holiday, everybody went to the bar. There were some jobs where you were working on a certain building that was located across the street from a bar. And that was the daily lunch routine. And it was very difficult, a not completely wanting to expose myself. Um, as someone in recovery at all times, but also be just to deal with the stigma of, you know, it's almost like the reverse stigma of, I don't drink and I don't want to. And what the hell's wrong with you as a man in (laughs) construction that doesn't want to have a beer with me. Right. Um, But along with that, so that's one particular instance, but I, I definitely agree that work or job related functions seem to be the most difficult place to either remember to apply spiritual principles or just to apply them when we do remember them. And why? Like, what is it behind that that makes them so difficult, I guess, is my question. It seems to be, I mean, I guess family life's kind of a hard place to remember it all the time, too. It seems to be a little easier there because I actually give a fuck about my kids, for sure. I love them and I don't want to harm them. But what is it about work that makes it such an easy place to forget to practice these principles we believe in?
0: I think for me, uh, the biggest thing is most of those people I will not see outside of that, you know, eight hours that I'm at the office. I don't see those people in my personal life. And I, so I tend to depersonalize them and depersonalize hmm. myself. And so therefore, it's just a bunch of people at a place and none of these actions really have any impact outside of that couple of hours there. And I don't know that that's the right way to look at that. You know, I need to sort of personalize them and look at them as human beings and look at them as, you know, people (laughs) to treat them as people.
1: So I was thinking maybe the harder reason to practice it in a work environment is because we spend so much time around these people. Like generally with, with my, you know, recovery friends, I get to spend an hour at a meeting or maybe I get to spend a couple hours before or after the meeting eating dinner. But these work people is like eight hours a day, five days a week. I probably spend as much time with them as I do my family, sometimes more, right? Unless you count sleeping time, which I don't. Uh, Maybe it's because of that close interaction Mm -hmm. and such frequency that it becomes harder to deal with their character defects, in which case mine get turned on to, to react to them. Yeah. And see, I'm the opposite. Like
0: I'm the feelings don't motivate what we do. You know what I mean? Like your feelings do not matter at all. We have a job to get done. This is how we do it. This is what needs to get done. You can like it or not like it. I don't really care. This is what needs to get done. And you know, that approach allows me to sort of not, not it allows me to minimize. I don't want to say not care. Cause obviously I do care about some of these people. I've known them for 20 years. So I do care about them a little bit, but it's, it's very easy to separate out the personality side of things. Sometimes I have to do things that you're not going to like because I'm the supervisor. I got to tell you things you don't want to like. I got to give you jobs you're not going to like. And for me to manage that well, it's like the way I manage uncomfortable feelings for myself is just to squash them down, intellectualize them away and act like they don't exist. So if I'm doing that with myself, I'm going to do that with you, too. Right. You know, I'm going to make it so that your feelings don't really matter. What you say, you know, you get reduced to a machine in my head <laughs> versus an actual person with actual feelings. That there are consequences to the things that I say about you to your coworkers, you know. And right. I, in my personal relationships, I tend to focus a lot on that those things, and in work, I don't.
1: Do you think also maybe the whole money, property, and prestige? Piece could come into that. Like at work, uh, we can be diverted from our primary purpose of being good, kind, loving, compassionate human beings because that's really not our focus there. Our focus there is to earn a paycheck. Our focus there is to get a job done, to maybe advance our career. We want the prestige of advancement. So we got to perform well. So we got to make money for the company, whatever it is. Like, do you think because the focus there is different, it can divert us from what we believe our primary role? in, in life and recovery is.
0: Yeah. So I don't believe my primary purpose in my life is to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. Like I, what I would consider my primary purpose, I guess is more I guess, spiritual living in the spiritual side of that. So if, yeah, if you're tying it into that part, um, I don't know, that's where these, so I've heard it said, and I don't, No, I've wrestled with this in my head for a long time that spiritual principles are never in conflict. And I don't know if that's always true at like a work setting because. And I don't know that it is or it isn't. I'm not making a claim either way. I'm saying sometimes there are hard decisions, you know, again, just like letting that girl go or or letting, you know, pulling someone up for a mistake that they made or, you know, pulling someone up about something they don't like. Like, obviously. You know, there's a, it's really difficult to do that in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings. It doesn't put them down, you know, and, and trying to practice these principles when I have to do those things, when I have to have conversations with people about difficult subjects is how I try to apply that. (laughs) You know, I try to just be respectful. I try to be honest. I try to, you know, when I have to pull someone up on something, I try to sit down with them, separate out my feelings look them in the face and say this is the issue that we're having this is what's come up you know let's deal with it this way um again i don't always do that there are times i get mad about things and yell about things or say something to someone else you know because like at our work it's what i one of the specific struggles is there are people that have worked there a long time they're really good at certain aspects of their jobs but They sort of have, uh, what I'm going to call like baby feelings. They think that they should be the most important person there and that everything should cater around them. And there are so many other pieces in the system. So many other little things at play that they don't understand, but yet they'll complain. And you know, this person isn't doing that well enough and you're not doing this well enough. And I need these things and you're not giving them to me. And they don't even understand why it is the way it is right um and so trying to just keep them in a positive way doing their job getting done what we need to do addressing their concerns you know there's a lot of pieces there that are hard to sort of uh I don't know. I want to say bogged down. That's a a bad way to say that, but get tied up in how do you practice spiritual principles in all these different disagreeable areas? Like they aren't, they don't agree. They, they conflict with each other, you know, there's conflict there because, you know, sure. It'd be great to go in and give every employee a $5 race tomorrow and they all might be happy for a month or two months, and then they're going to want more money. And then, you know, this isn't going to be good enough. Okay. So we fix that. Is that going to really fix the problem? It's going to make them happy. It's going to bring them peace. It's going to maybe make their life easier. But then if the company closes and we all lose our job, then nobody's, you know, that's a detriment to everyone, you know? So yeah, we can't just give away all the money, you know, because then there's none to keep a company running. So there are Hmm. some conflicting things there.
1: Yeah, one other concept that that occurred to me that might make it hard to practice spiritual principles at work and I'll run this by you to see what you think. So, when I got to recovery, I had always felt isolated and apart from, right? I never even going back as far as like schooling, I just felt different than everybody else and like something was wrong with me and I didn't fit in, right? So when I got to recovery and could buy in and, and I did these certain behaviors that thank God were spiritual principles and good behaviors for me, right. To help keep me in recovery. I felt a part of in doing that. So that it led me in a positive direction, right? When I go to work, I find that that's generally not how most of uh, society is living, right? They're not all hanging around the water cooler talking about how they can practice trust and Mm -hmm. faith today. Right. For sure. Right. So, I want to be a part of still. And in that work environment, when I try to go for that social acceptability piece, right, that, that being a part of the environment there and the crew, I tend to participate in what they're doing, right? And not that I'm some weak-minded person that can't think for himself and has to join the crowd, but I do want to be a part of things, right? I want to be a part of the work environment. I want to be a part of the crew and the fun they're having over there at the water cooler or wherever they have it. So, do you think that ties into my sometimes I diminish my own spiritual principle actions at work to try to fit in?
0: Oh, yeah, because you're in a forced environment. You know what I mean? You're some of these people you have to be around. And just to be honest, if you get 20 people in a room, I mean, probably two, if not more, of them are just going to be assholes. Right. You know what I mean? They're just. Or and not even complete assholes, but they just might be dishonest people. They might, you know, we might have a guy at your work that, you know, tells a lot of stories that, you know, are bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you can't really trust that person all that much. And, you know, it's you have a lot of personalities that are different that you're sort of maybe wouldn't hang around. Hmm. In the your life regular folks, life, right. they aren't really people that you would choose to associate with, that you're sort of forced to associate with. I and you. with all those different personalities, you know, now, I mean, I go to meetings. I like everyone. I'm nice enough to everyone, but I don't hang out. You know, I'm not forced to spend hours of time with right. all those people all the time. I get to pick and choose the ones I want to hang out with and go to out to eat with and do social <laughs> activities with or have at my house. Right. And I tend to pick the ones I like. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I don't, I don't. Typically, talk bad about my friends because I like them, right. it's like you said earlier. tax right?
1: collectors don't talk <laughs> right. bad about their friends, Billy. Jeez. Right. So the people at work
0: that I like get along with, I you know, I don't talk about them. That's um, but the other side of it, and it's true for me too. Like we all have assets and liabilities, strengths and limitations. You know, character defects. Every person has them. I have them at my job. I have things I'm really good at. I have things I'm not so good at. Um, it just becomes hard when people want to talk about the things that you're not good at, you know, mm. when people want to criticize me or talk to each other about it behind my back. Like, right. I don't want to hear that. I get, my feelings get hurt and I get defensive. And so I want to do that back. And, you know, it's like little ticky tack stuff like that. It's
1: definitely hard when people paint a picture of me, And it's not the full picture. And it's only based on that one piece that I really don't want to be emphasized. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I can understand that. And then it's the same with them. They have those same things,
0: too. And, you know, I have to really push myself to be like, hey, maybe this person is a little bit of a, you know, diva at work. But they're really good at their job. And they do exceptionally well in these areas. And so, overall, they're an asset to the company. They're a value to be here. And if I can work with their strengths and sort of diminish their limitations or liabilities, you know, that's that's the job of management or leadership. There's a really good book out actually called Tribal Leadership, which mm-hmm. is sort of about some of these concepts. It's more about how you um cultivate an attitude of a tribe, like, hey, we're all, you know, we're a team, you know, right. we're a we're a tribe, we're all working together, and you use these uh concepts of like similar goals, you know, we all have the same goals. We all have the same focuses. We all have the same, you know, drives to do these things. Um, and and cultivating those attitudes so that people stay focused on what they're supposed to be focused on at work, not on what so and so is doing with whoever's wife and what's going on behind the scenes. And did you hear this guy got drunk and did drunk texted the girl at work the other night, you know, that kind of stuff. Like if we can keep focused on the important things of our tribe, you know, hopefully we can negotiate around some of that BS that's going on.
1: Right. Yeah. I had read a, you know, an article before I was trying to be a better parent. So I read a book on parenting. I couldn't tell you what it was called, who wrote it or any of that good stuff. I'd love to, you know, give them a shout out. But it definitely talked about the importance in psychology of, creating a a a feeling of you know a team and it talked about you know coming up with a sort of a mantra for your family like hey we're browns and we do the right thing or something and how that actually works for children like they Mm -hmm. buy into it they they repeat that kind of thing in their head and they feel we're all in this together we're browns and we don't do this certain thing or we do do this other certain thing and how powerful that can be um you had mentioned something else that brought up something I read. Oh, it was the the exercise about when you're struggling with a resentment or, or just with somebody you really don't like to remember that even the worst person you've met has friends, right? Sure. Nobody's alone in the world. And those friends aren't hanging around them because of those qualities you see that you don't like. They're seeing some other qualities in this hated person that are pretty positive, right? So everybody's got some of these positive aspects. And to remember that at all times, that no matter how mad I am about this person's one behavior, there's probably a whole big picture behind it that other people are seeing. And maybe if I look, I can see that too.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. You got anything else for this week? No, I think that's about all the things I could talk about at work at the moment. Definitely not all I could talk about, but I think I'm done talking (laughs) for the morning. All right. We'll see you again on the next episode. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at of at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.